Want to know how Canada's top entrepreneurs think about creating significant wealth? Join me, Thane Stenner, founder of Stenner Wealth Partners at CG Wealth Management and host of the Smart Wealth Podcast. Download today at iHeartRadio or your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe now. Hello, I'm Thane Stenner, uh, proud uh, host of the BNN Bloomberg uh, Brand Studio Smart Wealth Podcast, which is a monthly podcast where I get to interview some pioneers and leaders in different industries. And I'm very, very pleased to be bringing one of those uh, such presenters here today to share his insights uh, with us all. So uh, welcome, uh, Duncan. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you. Likewise, I know you're a busy, very busy fellow these days, but uh, again, thanks for taking the time to be with us and, and share your thoughts. So before I give uh, Duncan's more formal uh, bio, uh, which is you know, quite extensive, uh, today what I thought I'd do for the listeners or viewers today is to share um, with them the insights of one of North America's very top elite performance coaches who deals with a lot of the very top uh, wealth advisors and wealth advisor teams coaching them on how to um, be the very best they can be in our industry. So I think it's, it's kind of a peek in to what elite advisors and teams do, brought to you by uh, one of the very best coaches kind of in, in the industry today, Duncan McPherson. So with that in mind, I'll give you a little uh, quick uh, bio. Uh, Duncan is a very thought-provoking speaker. He travels extensively throughout North America and around the world. And he conveys you know, very dynamic and actionable presentations, of which I've actually seen him present before, and he's, he's very entertaining. Uh, and this has made him a very popular spokesperson for the overall financial service in, services industry. Duncan's focus on business development and branding in the financial world has helped some very top advisors to consistently attract and retain, most importantly, great clients elevate the client experience, deploy a scalable growth model for them, and drive enterprise value in their respective businesses. Duncan's primary goal is to help financial advisors achieve liberation and order. It's not, not an easy uh, objective there, Duncan, <laughs> um, in their business and personal lives. Duncan is also CEO of Pareto Systems, an industry-leading consulting firm. He's also co-author of the bestseller, The Advisor Playbook, and he's excited to release his new book, The Blue Square Method, of which I think it's uh, immediately located over his left shoulder, our right. So uh, once again, well, uh, welcome, Duncan, uh, for today's session and uh, lo really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, so am I. And uh, I might need you, Thane, to just uh, send a quick text to my wife and just remind her about all those nice things you've said. She still <laughs> to this day cannot believe I get paid to talk. <laughs> somewhat shocked that they listen, but uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I think this is a common thing within spouses. Uh, so let's let's begin. Um, you know, Duncan. You know, as one of North America's top or very elite wealth advisor performance coaches, you have a very unique perspective as to what some of the very top wealth advisor teams and advisors are doing for their wealthy clients. Uh, maybe share with the audience kind of what you what your top three observations are as to what these teams are doing for ultra high net worth investors today 
Uh, top three. Okay, well, Thane, and you know this because you personify this, the, the, right out of the gate, the most important is that a financial professional embrace stewardship, not salesmanship. This industry and many industries have been transactional. Uh, it's not about someone pitching an idea. It's about positioning solutions that align with the client's needs, their tolerances, and directionally where they hope to go. So a big part of stewardship is that a financial professional never asks a client to buy something. They're asking them to buy into something, buy into a meaningful relationship, buy into a client experience, and buy into a process. And as you know, the most enlightened financial professionals have developed and refined a process. They don't wing it. They don't fly by the seat of their pants. And they put every piece of the financial puzzle together for a client as their life unfolds and their needs evolve. So I don't think I hit on three there, but that's, that is a foundation that is so incredibly important. And I'll just elaborate for a second because I was just in Toronto. I was reminded, um, I was right beside the CN Tower, which, as we all know, is uh, just a monster. It's a little over 1,800 feet high. But what surprised me is that the foundation is only 22 feet deep. It's very important, but that's not really what you appreciate, the foundation. And so my, my analogy, Thane, is that a financial professional's technical ability is their foundation. There was a time that was enough. Now it's a minimum requirement. It's all the other things that they do in terms of creating a client experience that's consistent, get out in front of a client's evolving needs, and make sure the clients understand the future pacing dynamic directionally where it's going. So that, that, that I think, is, is what often separates the best from the rest. So, Duncan, what are the size or range of teams that you coach? Like... Um... Are they two-person teams? Are they 10-person teams? In, in order for them to provide the level of proactive service uh, that, you're, that you just spoke about, like what size are these teams these days? Uh, typically, the most significant teams that address the most complex client needs have a bench strength between 10 and 20 uh, people. But just as important as the talent is that they don't think of it like a book of business, which is part of the jargon of the industry going back decades. They think of it as a business. They run the business like a business, which means they have an org chart of roles and responsibilities. They have standard operating procedures that they've adopted and best practices. They have uh, a playbook in terms of uh, how they conduct themselves. They have a service matrix and all of it is client centered. So all of it, no, nothing's a sort of a secret behind the curtain. All of it is very client centered and, and positioned in a very transparent manner. So the client knows what to expect. And Dane, as you know, what this does is it bookends not just client service, but client experience. So client service is how a team responds to a need. Okay, so they're needs-based planners. 
their, their code of conduct, their decorum is professional. The world stops. They take care of it. Client experience is scheduled. It's tied to the classification of the client based on the complexity of needs. When the team embraces both, uh, the clients appreciate that immensely. That's a great way of putting it, actually. Yeah. So one of the aspects that I've observed in the wealth management industry or financial services industry for three decades now is how the very top advisors and their teams tend to be behavioral coaches, in essence, uh, with their clients. And I, I see it as being you know, playing a more increasingly important role by wealth advisors in the future, and especially these days. I mean, right, right in the middle of a bear market currently ourselves globally. Um, so please explain from your point of view why you think uh, top advisors kind of distinguish themselves or separate themselves from the competition by good behavioral coaching. Yeah, so that's a very uh, interesting question. And I will say that enlightened fee-for-service professionals beyond financial services. As you know, financial professionals tend to collaborate with accountants and lawyers and other service providers. Uh, across the board, those who are enlightened are embracing this elevated approach. So the first thing I'm going to say, and, and actually I want to back up for a second. I want to tell you a quick story that's tied to this. So a financial advisor that I know lost a very significant client. It was a long-term client. And the advisor admittedly had gotten a little bit complacent and kind of took the relationship for granted. Unbeknownst to him, the client sold a business, had a significant liquidity event. The advisor found out about this after it happened which is very indicative of some of the disconnects. Mm. He, he called me and I said, look, you have to make a choice. This is either going to serve you or hurt you. So I said, call up the now departed client. Tell him you respect his decision. Congratulate him on his massive liquidity event. And then just ask him, why did you leave? Hmm. And what was interesting is the, the former client said, well, I just came to this realization that my needs have become so complex. Uh, I was advised that I needed to uh, seek out uh, more meaningful advice. And then he said something very profound. He said, plus, he said, you've got 300 clients and you seem to be really at capacity or even beyond it. My current advisor has 60 clients. And because of my more complex needs, I need a deeper level of client service and client experience. So no disrespect, you've served us well, you, you're very great for our family, but essentially what he's saying is, I've outgrown you, mm. okay? Now, so back to your question, as it relates to a financial professional, the enlightened financial professional knows from a behavioral side, they're actually managing three things. Yes, they're managing money. And I will never trivialize their technical ability and their core competency. So much of that has become commoditized. They're also managing a business. 
with HR dynamics and client experience realities, and they're managing people. And what they're managing as it relates to people, and I'm talking about their clients, is how the clients perceive them and describe them to others. And all of that impacts uh, loyalty, ongoing empowerment, and advocacy. So what we're asking all fee-for-service professionals to embrace, but specifically financial professionals, is place as much importance on practice management and relationship management as you do on wealth management. And you will have clients for life. You'll, you'll get into the family tree. I mean, as you know, the, the, the best financial professionals have second and third generation clients because they're indispensable. And the clients appreciate that bedside manner as much as they appreciate the technical deliverables. Excellent. Um, so what would you say are some of the key struggles or challenges that you're currently observing between advisors and their wealthier clients these days? Uh, well, first of all, um, one of the biggest challenges comes from the fact that often a financial professional will bring on a client that's not a good fit. Mm -hmm. They're philosophically disconnected. There's not an alignment of interest. There's a, and, and how someone starts a relationship at this level has such a profound impact on how it will unfold. So top advisors do not, it, it, they do not have a sales mentality. It's not a sales encounter when they're meeting a prospective client. It's a fit process. They want to make sure it's a good fit. That, that's number one. And as soon as advisors start deviating from that, uh, there, there are issues. The other is making sure that uh, they don't become their own best kept secret. So there's a powerful force in this space. It's called the law of familiarity. The law of familiarity says that the more familiar a relationship becomes over time, the more things get taken for granted and value gets trivialized. And as we know in this space, uh, fee compression is real. So the client develops amnesia, they develop a bit of loyalty fatigue, and then you throw in volatility and you throw in competitive forces and now the relationship's at risk. So we're constantly telling the teams that we work with to reframe, rejuvenate, and, and revisit, like rebrand your relationships with your clients so that they never tend to drift. And make sure you know exactly what they want and what matters to them as a goals-based professional. It's one thing to be a needs-based professional. That's technical. Goals-based is very emotional. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick story here. So a financial advisor is having a, a scheduled call with a client. It's a great client. And in the conversation, in response to the advisor's simple question, what's, what's, what's new? How's life? Uh, the client told the advisor that their daughter got accepted to a new school, like a, a phenomenal school. And it was all on merit. I mean, this, this family was very affluent, but she did it on her own. It was, they were very, very proud. It's not like the family bought a wing at the university, right? I mean, she did it on her own. They were on cloud nine. 
So, so he, the, the advisor can feel the pride over the phone as he's talking to the client. So what does the advisor do? He gets a very nice card and sends it to the kid to congratulate her and goes online and buys a t-shirt for the mom and dad. Now he had very minimal interaction with the mom, but it was like XYZ school mom, XYZ school dad, sent it to the parents congratulating them on this great achievement. The dad was like, oh, that's nice. The mom was over the moon. She's like, and she said to her husband, how did he know? And the dad said, it's his job to know what's going on in our life. He's a goals-based professional. He knows about our achievements and our milestones and what matters to us and what we aspire to. That It's his job to know. The, the, in, and I'm not saying get into the gift-giving business, but I'm saying that there are moments of truth and milestones and achievements that occur in a client's life. If you're going to say you're a goals-based professional, celebrate their goals. And on the other side of that, uh, pay tribute and acknowledge their setbacks. Uh, the, the key here, Thane, is it's not just that I care. I care about what you care about. And my actions speak as loudly as my words, um, you know, if, if that makes sense. It does, actually. And in that particular case, interestingly, how the mother uh, or the spouse, he, you know, the advisor didn't know as much. And so it was extra impactful with hers uh, and probably with the daughter, too, from a point of view. Of, you know, OK, mom and dad's uh, advisor sent me a nice card. Right. Uh, so uh, and I'm sure they probably would have had a little, uh, you know, around the table uh, discussion around that at some point, too. So we're going to pause there for a quick break. Uh, I'm interviewing Duncan McPherson, an elite performance coach that uh, I think is, is providing some extremely good insights. So be right back. Want to know how Canada's top entrepreneurs think about creating significant wealth? Join me, Thane Stenner, founder of Stenner Wealth Partners at CG Wealth Management and host of the Smart Wealth Podcast. Download today at iHeartRadio or your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe now. Well, we're back with Duncan McPherson, who's leading us through conversations around what top elite advisors are doing in servicing their very best clients. Whether you're a professional in accounting, tax, law, financial services, trust is key to be built over time. So um, how would you say the top advisors kind of build trust and keep trust with their clientele. Yeah, so yeah, trust is the lifeblood, right? Especially when you think about how long the relationship will endure. And you think about back to the second and third generation clients. I mean, how many professionals get to say that, that I've got second and third generation clients within this family? It's very rare. So what I say to my clients is I say, okay, if, if trust is so important, what specifically do they trust? Now, often uh, a financial advisor will say, well, they trust my judgment, they trust my credentials, my integrity, my skills, my designations, et cetera. And I say, absolutely, but keep going. Those are qualities and skills and intentions of a person. The, the best financial professionals 
their clients appreciate the practice and the process as much as the people. Like, you know, I've known you for a long time. Uh, you're very good at education, communication. But when it comes to the client experience, it's not the Thane show, right? Your clients appreciate your bench strength, but they appreciate the best practices you've adopted and they appreciate the process that you have in place. And, you know, my, the, the key performance indicator is, and I always laugh when an advisor tells me this happens, is they happen to pick up the phone and the client says hi and then asks for the advisor's assistant <laughs> or associate, right? Like just, just, just cut out the middleman. Th that's such a powerful indication that the client has so much trust uh, for the entire panoramic value, not just the individual or the lead. That, that, that to me is a big distinction. Hmm. It's another great way of putting it. And, you know, from point of view of adopting best practices and whatnot over my career, unfortunately, I think, you know, the ways that things are learned a lot of times, at least for me, is you stub your toe, you make a mistake and you have to kind of say, okay, I don't want to do that again. Or I don't want our team to do that again. Um, so how do we improve from that? So I think, you know, one of my mentors uh, years ago said um, there was a philosophy or foundational point he called can I, C-A-N-I. Mm -hmm. So constant and never-ending improvement based upon a uh, Japanese principle, actually, a Japanese business principle. So always took that to heart. And again, doesn't make us perfect. But, uh, you know, if you have the mindset of constant improvement and we're here to serve clients and serve them exceptionally well, you know, it, it kind of permeates. And I think that they pick up on that over time, but. Uh, well, I, I just want to jump on that for a second, because that's very near and dear to my heart. So the Kanai, the extension of Kaizen, I mean, if you break it down, Kai is change, Zen is good, change is good. Hmm. And, you know, the interesting thing about success and performance, uh, I'll just paraphrase Hemingway here. The goal isn't to be superior to someone else. The goal is to be superior to your former self. And what I really admire about the very top professionals is the clay is soft. And I'll just give you another Japanese uh, concept because um, the blue square method is rooted in an ikigai. Ikigai is a four circle Venn diagram that speaks to our reason for being. Okay, and it really speaks to our sense of purpose. And, you know, undoubtedly you and a lot of your listeners would have uh, read Good to Great by Jim Collins. He talked about his hedgehog concept. I'm pretty sure that was inspired by the Ikigai concept. And that was developed in Okinawa, basically, uh, by the way. But it's such a powerful uh, thing because those in all walks of life who have the highest ability also tend to have the highest level of humility. Like they don't, they don't believe their own hype, whether it's uh, Sidney Crosby and his coaches or a business professional, like they, they respect input and, and it's part of it is the way they're wired, but it's also this concept of plateau avoidance. And, you know, I will say, Thane, I'm just going to run with this for a second, because as much as a business professional listens to a coach. I'm constantly telling them, make your clients the voice you listen to because they're on the receiving end of your value. And I'll tell you a story that happened not too long ago. 
a financial professional who only accepts new clients through introductions, got introduced to a substantial client. I mean, it was like, and, and he's telling me about this. And I said, more importantly, how many times did that client introduce someone prior to this? It was the first time. I said, that's what you celebrate. The, the win, okay, that's fine. Uh, but but what, based on cause and effect, engineered that? So I said, call up the advocate, the rainmaker, thank him for the introduction, and then ask him, what did you say? How did you describe me? Now, this is an advisor who would be the first to tell you that 10 years before, the client probably would have said, well, you're a good advisor and you make me money. But he's evolved so dramatically. You know what the client said to him? He said, what did I say? I told my friend that if anything ever happened to me, the second or third call my wife makes is to you. And then I said, you know, I've had other financial advisors. I've never felt better about the path I'm on. I've never felt better about what I belong to in terms of your community. And, and the track I'm on because of your process, the clarity, the liberation and order I do have, like he just went on and on and on. It wasn't platitudes. It was really, and this is a substantial person. So, so yes, the best listen to their coaches and mentors, but they make their clients the voice. And it's, it's so profound about amplifying one, one's trajectory and where they're going in life. Mm. Excellent. So let's pivot to uh, what a lot of advisors and what a lot of wealthy investors are dealing with today. And that's a current bear market in the stock markets and the bond markets. Uh, been a very unusual year in 2022. Uh, I think it's first time since the 1930s where there's been three negative quarters in both the stock markets and the bond markets. So, uh, and that's been because rates have gone up and, and uh, a lot of froth has come off of things. So what would you say um, that wealthy investors today should be expecting from their current advisors and teams? Uh, you know, yeah, so let's start there. How, how, do you, how do you think their experience should be right now from their existing advisors? Well, again, enlightened investors, what they expect from their team of financial professionals is consistency. And I'm not speaking to consistency around performance. They, they get it. They expect consistency in terms of how they conduct themselves through all market conditions. I mean, we've, yep. we've both got some mileage and we know that calm seas never produce a skilled sailor right? That's kind of necessary. But here's back to your point about uh, historicals. You know, I'm, I, I'm sure you are too, a student of history. You look back a hundred years, I think there's been 30 meaningful episodes of intense market volatility of in excess of 25% or more and sustained volatility where the market sort of went up like an escalator, down like an elevator, profoundly and then stayed down there 30 times in a hundred years. And so far we're batting a thousand. 
you know, and we generally come out of those periods better than we went into them. And I believe I have immense optimism for the future. And um, so, so that context is important. The importance of dealing with a client that is enlightened is very key. And, um, but, but I just come back to the consistency, yeah. like the, 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 the really good quality financial professionals, they don't deviate. They have a philosophy that they don't stray from. They, they have a financial plan, they have fluid and dynamic planning, and then they look for opportunities. They know that a, a good decisions always come from a strong position. So we're not going to react to this. We're prepared for this. We've got some dry powder. And we'll make decisions based on opportunity uh, opportunities that present themselves. But I think that's what clients really expect, that consistency. I agree. Yeah, proactivity and consistency, I, I think, uh, would be the comment. So, um, so, Well, yeah, that's true, too. Like consistency and communication. A lot of people start hiding. Correct. Right? And, and the, uh, you know, the, the best, they are proactive. And uh, they're, they're staying in touch. And they're being a sounding board. And they're reading the room. Yep. You know, Clients always, there's two clients that call their advisor. They either call up saying, hey, Thane, how are you doing? It must be a little crazy right now. They they respect you. They care about the relationship. They value, and they're not worried, Yeah. right? They yeah. trust the plan. They stick to the process. They've got the noise-canceling headphones on, okay? Then you've got the other clients that are saying, like, what's up? They, they talk about geopolitical issues. They talk about other forces that are swirling around. The good advisors read that room and they their their bedside manner around empathy, they're Socratic, they're diagnostic, they're goals based, they mirror goals back on, and then they go right back to the plan and the planning. Uh, that that's generally how the best conduct themselves. Hmm. So how many years have you been an elite wealth advisor, team performance coach? And what excites you most about your uh your opportunity set going ahead this next few years. Yeah. So, so I started accidentally in the nineties, uh, early to mid nineties, it started getting some traction. I had a breakthrough in the United States in 99, all total flukes. Uh, and then just, it started gathering steam and it really picked up during that period of volatility in 2001 and then found another gear in 08. And that's another thing about top financial professionals is they themselves come out of periods of volatility better than they went in, both in terms of the resilience of their their enterprise, their client relationships, their team dynamics, and things like that. But what do I really like? I like it uh, first of all, when a team grows on their terms, like for example, I've got many teams during this period of volatility who are growing down. Like they're literally calling up their clients and saying, you know, we've made a very profound uh, observation. Rather than trying to be all things to all people, we're going to be all things to some people. And we've made a decision to grow our business from 200 clients down to 50. So we can go deeper into the complex and evolving needs of our favorite clients. Growing down. I've yeah. never heard that phrase before. Interesting. Well, you, you, you understand professional contrast and professional scarcity better than anybody. If you go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, people want a sense that they're not going to plateau, that, that they can move towards self-actualization, but they also want to feel like they belong to something. Mm-hmm. And so the, the best advisors, 
when it comes to relationship and client count, their goal is not to see how big they can get, it's how small they can stay. That is very, very important to activate that belonging and that scarcity. But the other side of that thing is that what gives me immense fulfillment after doing this all these years is hearing advisors who really confirm that the business is serving their life, not the other way around. Um, and, and, you know, may, many professionals, they care so much about their clients that the client's success comes at their own expense. And they, it drifts into this sort of no good deed goes unpunished dynamic where it's like a form of self-sacrifice. I, I constantly tell our clients, our advisors and teams that the best way to take impeccable care of your clients is to take impeccable care of yourself. You cannot pour from an empty cup. And I'll give you an example of that. I had a client that just came back from a sabbatical. So he went to Europe, went to the south of France for six months with his family and detached. Now he blogged his experience, but he his he, he primed the pump with his clients and told them why he was doing it. Explained that, yes, he'll be in contact but you're in very good hands, like our bench strength, our team dynamics, our process, it's all in place. The clients to a person have a higher level of respect for this advisor today than they did six months ago. And I, I don't know how many of his clients now have said, I think I should do this. Like, I want to get to a work optional lifestyle. I want to get to a point. And it, it's it's like right from farming. I mean, you give the land a rest. Six years, pour it on. Seventh year, give it a break. Mm. And the rejuvenational qualities of somebody working on themselves personally and having immense appreciation for what they have, along with the aspirations for what they want. I'm telling you, this advisor has come back. He loves his role more than he ever has. His sense of fulfillment and sense of purpose are greater. His connection with his family and the conversations with his clients, they're not dwelling on short-term volatility and performance. They're talking about how money is a means to an end and what it does for their life uh, based on the aspirations they have. So I could keep going, but those are, those are some of the things that give me immense fulfillment uh, when I see that you know, manifest in someone's life. Excellent. We're just going to pause there before we go into the third segment. I know each one of you is probably really enjoying this particular uh, interview, as I am. So we'll be right back. Want to know how Canada's top entrepreneurs think about creating significant wealth? Join me, Thane Stenner, founder of Stenner Wealth Partners at CG Wealth Management and host of the Smart Wealth Podcast. Download today at iHeartRadio or your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe now. Thanks everyone for coming back. We've got another great segment uh, of this interview with Duncan McPherson. So what, what are some of the things you think are lacking in the wealth management industry today as far as servicing wealthier investors, wealthier clients in North America? Because again, you're Canadian, yeah. but you, you deal mostly in the US uh, today. So I know you've got a very good perspective on this. Yeah, well, this last couple of years has been quite revealing, right, in terms of disruptions. I mean, that's the closest thing I've ever seen to a force majeure in my life. Um, very yeah. revealing. And I think, 
maybe one of the unintended consequences of some of these firms that have been striving to get so big is that they've centralized and homogenized the client experience to such a degree. And there's, you know, a lot of proprietary product that's made its way into the deliverables and things like that. What I really like and what I'd like to see expand more in the future is financial professionals who are in business for themselves, but not by themselves. Like they're entrepreneurial, but they're a brand within a brand. They get to build their own brand, their own client experience, but it's drafting behind a blue chip firm that doesn't micromanage, that allows them to have that bedside manner. And, you know, this is so important thing going forward because one of the biggest forces that will impact this industry will be, of course, as you know, demography and money in motion. And, you know, first generation earned wealth, when it goes into motion and becomes second generation found wealth, it's very different to manage. And that self-made money is mindful of its legacy and and what they're trying to accomplish as the money goes into motion. Um, There's a great book called Entitle Mania by Richard Watts. I did a podcast with him and uh, just talking about some of the um, consequences of wealth as it relates to uh, entitlement. You know that old saying, right? Privilege is being born on third base. Entitlement's thinking you hit a triple, <laughs> right? And we've seen that. You, As a financial professional with second and third generation clients, you've seen yep. that. But <clears throat> the, the professionals that get out in front of that, And I'll tie it in with this analogy. Um, I know two people who have climbed Mount Everest. And if you read Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, you come to this realization that the goal is not to get to the summit. The goal is to get back down. Mm. Like more people get in trouble coming down than than getting up there. And, Mm. you know, invariably a climber will hire a Sherpa call it a financial professional. And the goal, the goal is not to hit your number financially and become financially independent so that your money makes more money than you do. And yeah, that's not the goal. That's a goal. Like hitting your number. That's like planting the flag. Yep. Somebody who climbs Everest, they get less than 15 minutes to savor the win. And then they realize I still have some work to do where a financial professional is really going to make themselves indispensable is getting back down the back half of the journey of their life, the rest of their life. Okay, so you're you're financially independent. You've had your liquidity events. Now, what do you do for the rest of your life? What is it like within your family? Has it created some tension or is it liberating everybody to, to become the best version of themselves? Like this is going to be where the advisor of the future really emerges over the next five to 10 years, focusing on these dynastic uh, drivers, among other things. Hmm. Excellent. So we're just uh, getting close to wrapping up here, and you've you've already shared some excellent thoughts, uh, Duncan, which I'm appreciative of, and I know our listeners are as well. Maybe just share with us some final thoughts, like two or three things that come to mind that you kind of say, okay, I want to make sure, um, you know, wealthier investors and their advisors are paying attention to this what would you say 
Well, if, if, a, if an affluent client is coming to the end in their relationship with maybe they felt like, okay, it's, it's time to move on as they're out there vetting, you know, so they've talked to the people they trust. Who do you like? Who do you know? Who do you recommend? Okay. So now the rubber hits the road and I'm actually meeting with a financial professional. I think being really well prepared in asking questions to see if the fit is there mm. and to read, read that room. Is this a sales encounter? Like, is he trying to close me or are we trying to come to our own conclusions that there's an alignment of interest like that, like how that relationship starts and then asking good questions. Like my favorite question to ask a financial advisor is tell me about your personal philosophy around wealth management and attaining financial independence. The answers I've heard to that question, one of my favorites, and you would know this because uh, it didn't happen very long ago, a financial advisor said, at the end of the day, I would never ask a client to do something I wouldn't do myself. That's my philosophy. Mm. That's, it's, it's simple, but profound. Yes, I agree. Another, yeah, another question to ask a financial professional is, what makes you different? Mm. And read that because if they get into jargon and a data dump around their technical ability, it's a bit of a canary in the coal mine because so much of that has become commoditized. Again, it's the foundation. What you're looking for is a financial professional who says, what makes us different? It's our people, our practice, and our process. We've got great people with all the credentials you'd expect, and we love what we do, and we're really good at it, but we don't stop there. We run our business like a business. We've adopted best practices to create a consistent client experience. And we've developed and refined a process that puts every piece of the puzzle together as our client's life unfolds and their needs evolve. That's what makes us different. Our people, our practice, and our process. Something very succinct. There's brevity, there's specificity, and it's proprietary. It's something that it's the code they've cracked. And then, um, and then ask them the question, how many clients do you have? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a really That's good, a really good one. I, I've, uh, I've literally, you know, been in the business 30 plus years now. And, you know, I, uh, my own practice involvement over a period of time, I got up to about 660 families I was dealing with and made a strategic decision over a five-year time frame to transition back down to 10. And then we're working with 45 uh, families today from across Canada and U.S. And it's, quite liberating as an advisor I have to tell you because you know I kind of knew clients before whereas I feel like we really know our clients today so so what you said earlier Duncan around you know the questions of what's going on in their lives like you have to be in enough contact with them you have to be right asking the right questions to really know what's going on in their lives and Absolutely. pay attention to it, right? Or just at the end of the day, pay attention to it. Well, but, and I've known you a long time and I know you got up over 600 because you cared and you couldn't say no. And, you know, it's part of your legacy. Like there's people who need you. And I think what's interesting about your legacy now is now that you're focusing on people who really deserve you, meaning they appreciate you, they respect you and their needs align with your expertise and process, but you're reaching a lot of other people. Like by having this podcast, other advisors are listening. You're sharing your subject matter leadership and knowledge with others who can apply it. So you're still getting the reach, 
to a lot more families. It's just a little bit more virtual. Yeah. But those sure. 45 that you have, they feel like they belong to something and they'll never outgrow you. And the the they know that their family investment legacy is in good hands uh, as the money goes into motion. So I applaud you for um, how you've shaped your business because it's it, it it's the embodiment of what the advisor of the future is doing around the world. Thank you for that. I appreciate that, Duncan. Let's just finish off with, uh, you, you know, you've written a new book called The Blue Square Method. Tell, you know, tell the audience kind of what that, what the, is that about and why that title? And what are you trying to get across to people with that particular book? Well, thanks. And yeah, The Blue Square Method is uh, a window into the mindset and best practices of top fee-for-service professionals. So we've crowdsourced this based on our many consultations with some of the best fee-for-service professionals in the world. The, the key distinction here is that it puts an equal emphasis on qualitative success as it does quantitative. Okay, so personally and professionally developing yourself. So the goal of anybody who's striving for plateau avoidance and to find that next level is to make meaningful and measurable progress in a reasonable period of time. And so I, I, I think we've captured that. It's not theoretical. It's not on trial. It's all best practices and the way they think. And um, somebody can go to the bluesquaremethod.com. You can download a sample chapter just to get a feel for the tone and the nuances but I'm, I'm very proud of what this book has become. It took us, my, my uh, co-writer, Chris Jepson, who is a legend in practice management himself, took us six years to put this together. Um, but I'm very proud with the finished product. Well, you should be, my friend. And I, I you know, on behalf of uh, the clients that you work with as top advisors, I'm sure that they're very fortunate and very blessed to have your counsel and uh, guidance um, over the years as I have been. So thank you once again, Duncan. And uh, we really look forward to uh, hearing the feedback on this particular podcast. So have a great day. Thanks everybody for attending today. This is, my special guest has been with Duncan McPherson of Pareto Systems, uh, providing insights, really unique insights into what top uh, wealth advisors are doing for their very top clients uh, today and and just um, kind of providing some really good insights and nuggets for us uh, today. So thank you, everybody. This is Thane Center signing off for Smart Wealth Podcast with BNM Bloomberg uh, uh, Brand Studio Group. Thanks, everybody. Talk soon. On our next segment, we'll be interviewing Ben Rabidou, the founder and CEO of North Cove Advisors, We'll be discussing the very latest trends in the Canadian real estate and credit markets. Ben, in my opinion, is one of the leading experts on uh, providing really uh, current insights as to what's going on in the Canadian economy. So I, this is a segment you will not want to miss. Tune in. 
The comments expressed in this podcast are the results of work done by Stenner Wealth Partners. They may differ from the opinion of Canaccord Genuity Corp. and should not be considered as representative of Canaccord's beliefs, opinions, or recommendations. All views expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. The statements expressed herein are not intended to provide tax, legal, or financial advice and under no circumstances should be construed as a solicitation to act as a securities broker or dealer in any jurisdiction. All views are intended for general circulation only and do not have any regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or general needs of any particular person, organization, or institution. Can Accord is a member of the CIPF.